where two babes blab about biology and can be down weird each other with the most outlandish bio facts we're your hosts libby and kelsey kelsey do you hear that noise yeah like kind of like a hissing noise yeah yeah no do you do you think it has anything to do with the giant boa constrictor currently emerging from your closet god damn it not again somebody better get these motherfucking snakes off of my motherfucking podcast well you're shit out of luck because today's episode is all about snakes hey libby What's a snake? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Snakes are, quote, elongated, limbless, carnivorous reptiles, not to be confused with legless lizards, which also satisfy many of those requirements, but we're not going to unpack that right now. Any lizard's a legless lizard if you've got a pair of scissors and dark proclivities. I don't know why I talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm regretting a lot of my choices. (laughs) I you give me a lizard, I'll give you a legless lizard back. <laughs> Is this why you have all those scalpels? No, I would never. I would never. Do not cut the legs off of lizards. That's psychopath behavior. Don't fucking do it. I'll find you. I will cut your legs off. Okay, good. Glad we cleared that up. Okay. The word snake comes from the Proto-Indo-European root snig for to crawl or creep. The same root from the word sneak. Serpent similarly comes from the root serp to creep, which became the ancient Greek herpo for I crawl. This is where we get the name for the study of amphibians and reptiles, herpetology. But why must snakes creep and crawl, you ask? Because God cursed Satan in the Garden of Eden. Before Eve ate that fucking apple, snakes had legs. <laughs> so, so they tell us. So they say. But for real, though, snakes did used to have legs. It wasn't God, it was evolution. That's usually the answer. About 150 million years ago, a change began to occur in snake DNA. Specifically, changes in the expression of Hox genes and the sonic hedgehog signaling pathway, which led to snakes slowly losing their limbs over time. In fact, some species, like pythons and boas, still have little rudimentary femurs in the same way that whales still have random floating back leg bones. I'm sorry, but that's great and all. Did you say Sonic Hedgehog? Yeah. Do you want to unlock a side quest? Of course I want to go on a side quest. (laughs) There's a thing called the Sonic Hedgehog Pathway. Actually, we should do a whole deep dive on it, um, along with Hawks Gene sometimes. But the short and fast and messy of it is, the Sonic Hedgehog Pathway is named after the video game character, and interactions between the Sonic Hedgehog protein and its inhibitor, which is named, of course, Robotnikanen, determine how many digits you have, whether or not you're a cyclops, or if you have two heads, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, They're really important in fetal development, and when things go wrong, you get some pretty insane results. Scientists have even been able to mess with the expression of Hox genes in fruit flies to make them grow legs where their antennas should be, eyes where their legs should be. It's fucking wild. That sounds horrifying. It it is, but it's also science, baby. (laughs) I just love that it's called the Sonic Hedgehog Gene. 
Yeah, some nerd was real proud of that. And they probably won a Nobel Prize for it. Oh, yeah. The nerds, nerds fucking love Sega. I'm nerds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to snakes. Snakes live on every continent except Antarctica and a few islands thanks to Ice Age cycles and not some guy named Patrick telling them to get. Snakes can do all sorts of things, from sensing infrared light to unhinging their jaws to swallow prey bigger than their heads to making us go ooh and ah over how cute they are. Pretty much every snake has some sort of special skill, like being a sweet little fwed that lets me pick them up and have a little cuddle. <laughs> One day when I'm all grown up, I'm going to have a python named Monty, and I'm going to put a fancy chalice in his enclosure. So he'll be Monty Python and the Holy Grail? If you come over to my house, he'll bite your kneecaps. <laughs> Without further ado, let's do this. Fuck. So, I found a species of snake called Micropecius. And what, I, what now? I was, it's called Micropecius. And I really wanted to talk about it so that I could say Micropecius over and over again. But unfortunately, Micropecius is a pretty basic snake. And it doesn't have any particular unique behaviors aside from being highly venomous. Micropecius gets its name from its teeny tiny eyes. On the head of the micropecious. Oh, <laughs> uh, whoa. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. You know no. where, where eyes are. Right, on the head, of course. Yeah, on the head. Yeah. Um, it's surprisingly six feet long, but, I mean, you know what they say. It's not about the size of the pecious. It's about how you use it. Anyways, I just had to bring micropecious to everyone's attention. My actual fact is, is, oh. is not going to be about micropecious. That was, that, was just a, that was just an aside. When am I going to get the opportunity to talk about Micropecius? The snake is the only snake in the order Micropecius. Oh, of course it is. It's one of a kind. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about a snake that I caught once, and I didn't know what it was until I was doing research for this episode. So is this a, is this fact about a species of snake, or is this about, like, a, a specific snake that you caught? Like, a, an I... individual named Termin? Like... <laughs> oh, he was just so special to me, and we had such a bond. Yeah. So... Like, is this just your, like, loving ode to one specific snake? <laughs> That's amazing. Maybe one day when we'll do lizards, I'll talk about my lizard named Traveler that I had for, like, five years. This was um, a snake I, I caught once, and I was like, this is a weird fucking snake. I wonder what this is. And then I never knew until, like, three days ago. <laughs> Great. First of all, do as I say, not as I do. Don't pick up a snake unless you know for sure exactly what it is before you touch it. In my defense, this snake was tiny. Like, actually tiny. Like, I thought it was an earthworm at first. Oh, shit. And that's what kind of snake it was. It was an eastern worm snake. <laughs> I love when scientists name things that are actually helpful and descriptive of what they are. Yeah, when it like actually makes sense for fucking once. Worm snakes belong to the family Typhlopidae, which contains lots of different species and subspecies, but they all have a few things in common. They're farsorial, meaning they live completely underground and burrow around in the dirt. And because of this lifestyle, they don't really need eyes. They do still have eyes, but they're vestigial and are covered in a clear scale for protection from dirt. And they can still see, like, differences in light and dark, which I guess helps them know whether or not they're underground. <laughs> <laughs> or if they've been picked up by a curious me. <laughs> 
but they also have altered scales on the tips of their noses, which form like a hard shovel-like structure. That's really handy when they're squirming around underground. So this is just like a mole. This is, yeah. No this eyes, is... weird nose. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a mole. Did we just figure out evolution? <laughs> you live underground. You're going you to have a, no eyes. You're going to have no eyes nose. and a shovel nose. Well, moles have really big hands for digging. That's true. Snakes have no hands. Snakes have no hands anymore. Maybe he would have had bigger hands had evolution done different things. Snake hands. Snake hands. Hey, everybody, it's snake hands. <laughs> Sounds like a really horrible, like, flop superhero that just had snakes for fingers. Snakes like, <laughs> he just had... Because they were like, you've heard of Medusa with her snakes for hair. That was really cool and all. Um, I got a different curse. <laughs> I, in fact, have... do 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 Snake hands! That's what happens if you masturbate too much. <laughs> You'll get snake hands. God curses you to have snake hands. <laughs> oh. Anyways. They only have a few teeth in the very back of their upper jaw. And they have no lower jaw articulation. So while snakes are famous for being able to unhinge their jaw and eat things much larger than them, these little guys can't do that thing that all snakes are famous for being able to do. They can only open their mouths like in a little cartoonish, ah, kind of like tiny opening. It's actually adorable. Please Google pictures of blind worm snake mouths. Anyways, I'm going to pause and show Libby a picture of a blind earth snake. Blind worm snake, whatever I called it. Mm. You know. Cl classic Kelsey good science communication. Classic Kelsey just like forgetting the name of the thing that we're specifically here to talk about. Oh my god! Look at it! Look at his little veils! Look at him smiling! Ah! ah! He says, hey! Look at him! Oh my god! It looks like. Oh my god! It looks exactly like when you're at the doctor and they're like. <laughs> They need to look at your tonsils, and they're like, all right, mm -hmm. <laughs> say, ah. Yeah, he's like, ah. Ah. Oh, he looks so surprised. Anyways, because of because of this, like I just showed you pictures, they, uh, they are totally harmless, and their prey consists of little other underground bugs and grubs and worms, which is delightful. Somebody's got to do it. It's hard work out there. <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to do it. I will say... The one picture you showed me of it eating was significantly less cute than the other pictures. Yeah, it's kind of it kind of turns into a uh, shy halud kind of situation. You gotta see Dune. <laughs> Most members of Typhlopidae are very small, only around six inches on average, which is apparently slightly above average. With the largest species growing to only about two feet, but even that one lives entirely on a diet of termites and is also harmless to humans lurking around underground chomping on some termites. The family also holds the record for the littlest snake in the world. Oh, I'm so excited. He's so little. One of the smallest members of this family is the Brahmini blind snake, Endophylops brahminimus, or something like it. It's native to Africa and Asia, but has been introduced to a lot of other places over time. Because I guess it's easy to, like, accidentally scoop it up with some potting soil and ship it across the ocean. Yeah, it seems like it would be, it would be easy to transport. Yeah. It's really, it's really pocket-sized. Yeah, truly. They only grow about five inches long max, 
and they eat tiny larvae, bug eggs, and the pupa of ants and termites. What's fun about this species is that the Brahmini blind snake don't need no man. Oh? Yeah. We... My kind of snake. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We have never found a male of the species, and we don't think that there even are any. They reproduce via obligate parthenogenesis, which is a method of asexual reproduction where no fertilization from a male is ever needed. Female snakes basically just clone themselves. They can either lay eggs or produce live young, I guess, depending on environmental factors like temperature and moisture, but that part's a guess on my part. It just said, like, they both lay eggs and reproduce via live young, and they didn't explain what the mechanisms for like having options like if it's a tuesday they'll lay an egg and if it's a thursday they'll they'll have live young it didn't i couldn't find a solid answer on it but either way the daughter snakes are triploid so they have three sets of chromosomes and like humans for example are diploid so we have two sets of chromosomes but the daughters are all genetically identical to the mother okay this is what i was about to ask how are they not like horribly inbred and have all sorts of genetic issues if they're all clones. Well, I also wondered this, and I couldn't find any really, really wonderful answers. A lot of reptiles that can do asexual reproduction will, like, keep a few males in the population to spice up the gene pool every once in a while, but then when the males aren't around, they can reproduce asexually. These just only reproduce asexually? Which I guess is very convenient. It's hard to date when you're underground and blind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do imagine that blind worm snake tinder is uh, is pretty bleak. Oh, yeah. It's just... <laughs> All the photos are just black. It's <laughs> just that you swipe through it. It's just, they're all black. It's just darkness. And then, like, whole shot. Yeah, they're like, I can open my mouth especially wide. Look how many termites fit in this thing. <laughs> Yeah, you want to see how many ant pupa I can fit in here? <laughs> Ooh. Great, so we didn't answer my question about the genetics, but we did oh, okay. do a so, nice bit about Well, I don't, I don't know. My script just kind of ends, and I realize, I'm realizing in real time that I don't think I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, let's try to figure out in real time. Let's do some biology. Fuck it, I'll get my computer out. Let's fucking um, go. I, I'm wondering, because they're... They're triploid. Mm-hmm. They're, so usually humans are diploid, and we get a set of chromosomes from each parent. These guys, in theory, could just get both sets of chromosomes from mom, but instead have a third chromosome. So maybe they're, like, they get two chromosomes and then they duplicate another one during meiosis or whatever, and then that kind of remixes the genetic information or something? Yeah, I guess there isn't even in humans that do have sexual reproduction or other things that have sexual reproduction. There is an amount of, because they have like crossing over and like stuff yeah. where like the chromosomes get a little yeah. frisky with each other. Yeah. Um, even without the like combining two gene sets yeah. together. Yeah, so um, maybe having a third one gives you a little bit more wiggle room for... Yeah, so maybe they just like mix themselves up with each other. Yeah. <laughs> Someone has asked the question, how do organisms that reproduce asexually prevent issues commonly associated with inbreeding? Exactly what I want to know. Because I'm not. this isn't even specific just to these snakes. Somebody yeah. from um, 
who studies biochemistry at the University of Michigan. So no oh, real, yeah, no expected 2024, it says. Uh, so they haven't graduated. They know less than us then. Correct. Uh, but the, the start <laughs> of their answer is quite promising. It okay. says, sometimes finding a mate is too much work. And we are told that there are always more fish in the pond when things get tough. But some, like myself, don't even know how to fish. I love this person, actually. Yeah. Brian? Did they just... Brian? Did Brian just come out of it as asexual on goddamn Cora? <laughs> That's how I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Too late. You've done it on BioBabes instead. Okay, let me find his actual answer. I think I'm right. Horizontal gene transfer. Oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah. There are, there are other mechanisms, even within organisms that do produce sexually, that result in genetic mix-up of mm. stuff. That, that's probably why they're triploid, is because it gives them more ingredients for their genetic soup. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right. It's like each, each chromosome, if it wants to like get all jazzy with other chromosomes, it has two other chromosomes with which to do that. Here we go. Transposons, which are the jumping genes, have the ability to integrate foreign DNA into genomes. I have, I have like standing genes and I have jumping genes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, you have, like when you go out to a bar and you need to know if it's a standing bar or if it's a sitting bar. Yeah. Because that that affects which genes. Or a dancing bar, in which case you gotta wear your jumping jeans. Well... That was about the blind worm snake I caught one time. I loved it. He was great. I hope he's doing okay, but he probably has since passed. When you think of snake gathering hotspots, what places come to mind? My pockets. (laughs) (laughs) These little hands. Well, how high on the list is Manitoba? Where is is that a place? I wrote in parentheses. Please tell me you know where that is. No. It's a it's a Canadian province. Oh. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Level, I hope you know that I'm I'm doing I'm doing the Lord's work here with Kelsey's geography education. You're trying your best, and you know maybe eventually some of it'll stick. Well, buckle up, because I have a new travel destination for us. One of these days, we are going to drive 16 hours to the Narcisse Snake Dens in Manitoba so we can watch literally thousands of snakes fucking. Right when? <laughs> Get in the car. We're going right now. Let's go. <laughs> Bio babes, go to the snake dens. That would be such a good field trip. I'm not joking. It's 16 hours from here, but I would do it. I, uh, yeah. Make a road trip out of it. It's There's gonna... a lot of stuff between here and uh, Manitoba. Yeah. Probably. Happy graduation trip. Yeah, I get to go watch Snakes Fuck. Yeah. What else do you want to see to celebrate your wildlife degree? That would really sum it all up nicely, actually. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you you heard that right. The largest concentration of garter snakes in the world is in Bumfuck Canada. (laughs) (laughs) It's in Snakefuck Canada, technically. It's in Snakefuck Canada, technically. (laughs) Red-sided garter snakes are a very common backyard snake species in North America. You and I have had some lovely shared memories with these guys. I caught four of them this summer. (laughs) You did catch four of them (laughs) this summer. I took some really lovely pictures of you with these snakes. You did. 
But the reason that we can enjoy them even here in Montana is because their range extends farther north than any other reptile in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. They're chilly boys. They're chilly boys. So sub-zero Canadian winters, light work. No reaction for the red-sided garter snake. Damn. What makes the Narcisse snake dens so special is that the area is made up of marshes with limestone bedrock underneath. So during the summer, these snakes have a veritable buffet of frogs and other wetland-dwelling animals. And during the winter, they can slither through the cracks in the limestone to underground caves that protect them from the frost. Do you think that these snakes know that they're living my dream? (laughs) (laughs) You have wetland summer. Wetland summer. Eat all the frogs. Wild wetland summer. Mm -hmm. And then damp underground. Wet and wildland wetland summer. (laughs) And then damp underground cave winter. Yes. Perfect. But the real show is mating season during April and May. I'll have you know that three quarters of the red-sided garter snake's Wikipedia page is dedicated to its reproduction. So you know these guys fuck. Wow. That's what I want my Wikipedia to look like. (laughs) You don't want to reproduce. Oh, that's true. You you want three quarters of it to be sexual behavior. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) It's uh, Wikipedia tab one, early life, tab two, uh, beefs. (laughs) rivalries rivalries uh tab three sexual behaviors (laughs) question mark question mark (laughs) um tab tab three mysterious death (laughs) question mark next tab uh references (laughs) known acquaintances and it links to your wikipedia page and your wikipedia page is just like gay lakes I ended up on a Wikipedia page today called List of, of Mammals who, uh, That Exhibit Homosexual Activity. Are we on there? <laughs> yeah, it said humans. <laughs> humans was under H. No, I meant you and me specifically. <laughs> I don't exhibit any sexual behavior. That's true. That's fair. I'm like your fucking blind horse. <laughs> you just duplicate. Yeah. Don't you want more of me? Of course. To do this podcast with? Oh my god, I think I think one's enough. Yeah, I think so too. I also don't need more of me. <laughs> one's a lot. <laughs> one is just right. You could never you could never be cloned. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> I feel like I would like mess up anybody's science experiment. In fact I have. Did I tell you about the time that someone had to trash my results from an EEG study? From your like your own EEG study? No, it was not my study. I was a test subject. And Why were you a test subject in an EEG study? Don't ask questions. All right. Um, but I was a test subject in an EEG study, and they had to throw my test out because it was such a strong outlier that they had to disregard it in the stats. Why? What did you do? Because I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the study was specifically about meditation. Uh, I think I'm so anxious. I think I'm so high-strung that I didn't do the meditation right, and they were like, "Well, this doesn't make sense," and so they had to. Was this test discuss. subject like? Was this test subject like running laps around the room? <laughs> What's happening here? Like, no, I was just sitting there, but I have the anxiety levels of someone who's being hunted for sport. Yeah, apparently. God. Could you, your heart rate's like right here all the time. No, I actually have an extremely low heart rate for the amount of anxiety I have. 
I'm not kidding. I went to the doctor the other day and they like gave me the sheet with my vitals on it. And my and remember, I hate doctors. So this is my elevated heart rate. Yeah. I am anxious. It was 67. That's what my heart rate is when I'm asleep only. <laughs> my resting heart rate is like 65. You must have great cardio, like fitness health. Like, I your don't. heart must be great. My heart rate is like 100 always. It's probably 100 right now. What? Are you okay? No, I'm just like a little rabbit. <laughs> What's your heart rate right now? Let's find out. 94. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you put it on me? I, it might not be accurate, but... It probably won't be very accurate because it's used to, like, it adjusts... Oh, fucking 66. <laughs> Oh my god. That's so strange. Are you okay? <laughs> like, I literally just got done telling a story about how I have the anxiety levels of somebody like, in the most dangerous game, and yet my heart rate is 66. <laughs> Are you just built different? I need you to know that this, along with the fact that um, automatic doors don't detect me, sometimes makes me think Are I'm dead. Are you dead? dead? <laughs> Because if I walk at full You're speed towards an automatic door, <laughs> if I walk at full speed towards an automatic door, it won't open before that I run into it. So I have to like slow down and then kind of like wiggle for them to detect me. I think you're dead. I think I might be dead. <laughs> I think you're dead. Or maybe I'm like a snake. <laughs> maybe are you cold blooded? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> if you sit in the sun for long enough, will your heart rate go up? Unfortunately, we can't find out. <laughs> that is bizarre. I can't believe we proved that. Yeah, I was like, I did not expect my watch to like accurately read your heart rate at all. <laughs> it really went 94. It went, 66. it jumped from 94 to 66. Hey, listen, it's okay. You look great for a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, back to snakes. Hard shift back to snakes. Garter snakes engage in what scientists have aptly named mating balls, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mating balls. Those are the best kind of balls. Aside from meatballs. <laughs> right, of course. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of males will tangle together and form a mating ball at the entrance of a den. When the female emerges, it's a mad dash to court her first, or if we're really being specific, to align their double penis with her cloaca while using their tails to literally fight off the mating attempts of other males in the ball. Mm, talk dirty to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to say cloaca a couple more times? Not really. <laughs> I assume you'll have to. <laughs> Nothing. There, there is no sexier word. Yeah, cloaca. Than cloaca. But we talk about cloacas a lot on this on this podcast. Have we ever defined cloaca? We should just cover all our bases. Yeah. Which is kind of exactly what the cloaca does. It's It covers all the bases. It covers all the bases. It's everything in, everything out. So, you know, you're having to you're in a giant ball, you're wrestling all your friends, you're trying to like perfectly align yourself with a tiny snake hole and fight off other homies while you do it. Yeah, I know exactly what that's like. Right. Well, luckily male garter snakes are equipped with pelvic spurs 
that help them hook onto the cloacal scales of the female. Pelvic spurs. <laughs> Pelvic spurs. Fun fact, these spurs are actually vestigial leg bones. This is what Kelsey was referring to when she said that some snakes do still have little tiny legs. Cool. They're penis legs. Ah! Yeah, so it's like instead of, you know, just balls at the base. Mmm, just little feet. Little tiny legs. Anyway, once they're docked, the male snakes can start sperm transfer. (laughs) Once they're docked, the male snakes can start sperm transfer. (laughs) Yeah, that's a sentence I wrote in all seriousness. I didn't even really mean that one to be funny. (laughs) It's so clinical. <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about, like, like spaceships, like the International Space Trans. Yeah, it's exactly like that. You have to align perfectly, and then Houston, those pelvic spurs come out, Houston, and they clip the off. the are aligned. We are docking in three, two, one. Docking sequence complete. Houston. Initiate sperm transfer. <laughs> When he's done with sperm transfer, he makes sure nobody else can knock up his boothing by attaching a gelatinous copulatory plug to her cloaca. Fuck. I'm about to get gross here. But it's basically like if you stuck a giant glove of Vaseline up your vagina. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've gone over some poor birth control methods. In, yeah, that's not a good one. On this podcast before. Um, that was not a great one, but I guess I do kind of understand why it would get the job done. I don't. Just like, but like, but it's if you plugged it. If you just plugged it. Yeah. I'm not saying nothing it would, it in, would nothing be, out. It would be good for the health of the female, but it would prevent other sperm. Yeah. I guess it, I guess it, it, yeah. But God, at what cost? <laughs> yeah. That's the correct answer. The whole process takes a little over 15 minutes, which is more than can be said for a lot of human males. (laughs) There's a lot more that goes into the intricacies of the mating ball, from sperm competition to pheromones that snitch on uh, if a female snake is a virgin or not. Honestly, at this point, my knowledge of garters... You're just going to breeze past all that? (laughs) Yeah. The the intricacies of the snake ball? (laughs) Absolutely, I am. Because honestly, at this point, my knowledge of garter snake copulation has reached a level of detail that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, too, and I love love that for us. (laughs) Earlier, you offered me a side quest. Um, I actually have my own tangent here about uh, gender presentation in mating balls. Uh, Would you like to select this side quest. Yes, please. Great. So despite intense selective pressure to be able to tell which wriggly noodle has the parts you want, Mm. male garter snakes sometimes get it wrong. Gay snake balls. Gay Gay snake snake balls. balls. You know where this is going. Poor neighbors. There was an idea for a long time that female mimicry was used to confuse rival males in the mating ball. That's what I've heard. Tell me what you've heard. Okay, I heard that a male will, like produce, like, female pheromones to trick the other males into following him and mobbing him so they warm him up so that he can move faster, and then he, like, can squirm away and get to the female first. Okay, yeah. There's definitely this idea of these um, female mimics, which is what you're describing. So, the female mimicry hypothesis describes a male snake that is female presenting to other males, like you said with pheromones, The article I read uses a term that I'm like 90% sure is a slur against trans women, so we're not going to use that. 
So I'm going to call them female presenting AMAB snakes. Hell yeah. And in these cases, the male snakes um, will accidentally align with these individuals instead of females. So I think that's what you were just describing. Yeah. Research has shown that this isn't quite true. Hmm. Mainly, there just doesn't seem to be a high rate of mating balls containing both females and female presenting AMAB snakes, which would be required for this kind of sexual selection to occur. Yeah. So, one study found that, quote, the degree to which a male garter snake resembles females has little or no significance for his mating success within a communal mating ball. Which, I didn't really know how to take it first, but I think it's a win, like, for the queer animal community. Oh, great. <laughs> because, A, it seems like female snakes don't appear to have any preferences for the masculinity of their partner. Love that. That's and great. B, the implication is if there's not a high rate of mating balls that contain both females and the female mimics, then the implication there is that there are mating balls that don't contain female snakes, just female <laughs> presenting AMAB snakes. Are they just, like, having a great time? Yeah, but are just sort of, like, not reproductively viable, but are just for funsies. Hell yeah. There's there's two snake genders. Scratch that. There's three snake genders? I think there might be three snake genders. And some of these are just sort of, like, conclusions that I reached based on the logic of this article. Because it seems like they don't quite really understand how this is working. And they did this study in the Narcy snake dens in Manitoba. Um, oh, cool. So, like, because sample size. Um, oh, yeah. You got a lot of snakes. A lot of snakes. And so it seems like they don't really quite know how this is working, but I'm taking it as a win. I think it's a win. I think at the Until very... Until proven otherwise, we love our gay snakes. At the very least, there are three snake genders. Love that. Cool. Hell yeah. But we can see all that and more at the Narcisse snake dens. And more. And more. Every year, upwards of 75,000 red-sided garter snakes emerge from their underground caves to form mating balls everywhere. They're on the sidewalk. They're in the bushes. They're in your backpack. Sit down. They'll be in your lap. <laughs> oh, this, these snakes are so sticky. Why are these snakes so sticky? It's all the complimentary plugs. <laughs> no joke. If you so desired, you could lay down on the ground and be instantly covered with 50 snakes trying desperately to get laid. I'm not going to do it for them. <laughs> They're not going to find my cloaca. <laughs> they actually do like encourage you that you're like allowed to like pick them up and like look well, at them. Well, because they, they, they want to like warm up, right? Yeah. Like no, they just came out of hibernation. So they're like, if you like give, give them some cuddles and let them have some body heat and then they'll go get laid faster. Yeah. Then they'll get absolutely railed as soon as they leave your hand. I would love to see 75,000 snakes. Apparently, uh, we're not the only ones because the Narcisse snake dens are a legit tourist attraction with three to 4,000 visitors a day during mating season. That's so many people. So for every 10 people terrified of snakes, there's some weirdo like us who will travel thousands of miles to watch them fuck. Yeah, that's pretty good stats too. 3,000 people a day? There's a lot of us. Meet cute? <laughs> So how'd y'all meet? Oh, well, we both traveled from opposite ends of the country to see the snake mating. And we got so hot and bothered over it, bonding over how much we love garter snakes, that we got married. So a little spoiler for a future episode. Back over the summer, we went to a reptile expo 
and we were very tempted to buy a snake, but we didn't. There were so many insane snakes, and like, I would love to have a weird little color morph snake one day. I love the little pinkish yellow, yellow guys. They're so cute. But after our rep reptile expo field trip, I started wondering how they even get all those wild colors and whether it's entirely ethical. Oh, no. I was very surprised by like how expensive a lot of those snakes were. And like if there's a lot of money in breeding stranger and stranger snakes, does all that snake breeding cause problems? Is there inbreeding? Are there genetic issues? I had questions. So can I live my dream of snuggling a cute little pastel noodle friend without feeling guilty about snake suffering? And the short answer is, it depends. Okay, so you're not about to crush my dreams. No. Great. Don't worry. Your phone Don't. is asleep. So am I. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wants you to be asleep. Yeah, it goes on Do Not Disturb automatically at like 7.30 p.m. Oh my god. Because that's when I'm usually sitting in bed knitting. <laughs> and then I go to sleep. Because you're a grandma. I'm a grandma. When your heart rate's 95 <laughs> just sitting here, you gotta be, you gotta take it easy. That's why I told you to wind down. Yeah. He's like, you gotta go to sleep. We gotta at least get it to 85. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to die sooner than you because my heart rate's working so hard all the time. I think, this is going to sound mean, but I think you can take it. I think there's a lot of reasons you're going to die before me. <laughs> you're right. First of all. Some definitions. Morphs, or color morphs, are basically genetic mutations that can occur spontaneously in an animal. The mutation often changes the expression of recessive or hidden genes that affect the coloring of the animal. So if you've ever seen a piebald deer or a parakeet or a redhead, God forbid, you've seen the results of these color mutations. <laughs> so when you have a snake with like, say, a ball python with the crazy weird colors that are not at all natural to a ball python you call it a morph and there's so many fun names for these snake colors that they straight up sound like weed strains or band names i found a list of seven thousand something morph names oh my god <laughs> so here's some that caught my eye and we can scroll through them on our own time later fantastic Acid Disco, Bamboo Fire Orange Dream Spider, Seven Dollar Ghost, Blade Clown Fire Leopard, Banana Ball Butter Daddy. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> no? Super Mystic Potion, Butter Citrus Pastel Clown Fire, Apocalypse, Clown Soul Sucker, Darkling Leopard Ball Phantom Spider, Goblin Super Phantom, and Citrus Inferno Het Daddy. <laughs> okay, enough of those had same words in them that I'm yeah. getting the vibe that, like, specific things... They're like, names of, like, so they're color morphs, so, like, I I think that this is based on, like, kind of wading into this for, like, a day, so somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it has to do, like, if you have a goblin super phantom, you mixed a goblin color morph with a super phantom color morph. Okay. So the ones that have like 14 names are because their parents had seven names. Yeah. 
So, like, Darkling Leopard Ball Phantom Spider was a Darkling Leopard mixed with a Ball Phantom mixed with a spider somewhere down the line or something like that. Kind of like racehorse names where they take the dam and the sire's name and smash it together into something crazy. We'll get to that. We'll do a horse episode one day. Quick PSA. I didn't realize the depths of pet snake discourse on the internet that I'd be wading through today when I started researching this. And so please be gentle. If I get anything wrong, let me know because this was both fascinating to research and confusing as hell. But a lot of people on Reddit have very strong opinions about especially like ball python color morphs and stuff. So this is apparently a fairly contentious topic. Are you at all surprised about that based on the kinds of people we saw at the reptile expo? Reptile people seem like a a, a feisty bunch. They seem like both a fun and intense crowd. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I also, I'm going to be talking about ball pythons a lot here because they tend to be the most mainstream pet snake and python morphs are super popular in the pet trade right now. But pretty much all of this applies to many other snake species too. There's corn snake color morphs, hognose snake color morphs, garter snakes, milk snakes, all kinds of stuff. Very fun, check them out. So normal natural snake coloring has evolved to help the noodle camouflage with its environment so that it can ambush prey and hide from predators and all that important stuff that snakes do. Color mutations are naturally occurring, and wild snakes can be born with many color variations. The problem is that in the wild, these color mutations usually don't help the snake blend into its environment, and natural selection doesn't favor them. In captivity, though, this isn't an issue, and a lot of these morphs look cool as hell, so people breed for them. This is where it can get a little dicey. So. Mutations can be either dominant, which means that only one parent has to pass on the gene for the offspring to inherit the mutation, or recessive, which means that both parents must pass on the gene for the offspring to inherit it. I read a bunch of articles about how gene mutations and alleles and shit for snakes works, and it's confusing, but basically, just like with fancy dog and cat breeds, in order to get the mutations you want, particularly the recessive ones, you know, you gotta... You gotta do a little, you gotta do a little unbreeding. Ah, I see where this could be problematic. Which they call line breeding, because you're breeding it to its own family line, I guess. This is a side rant, but, uh, back in Yawn Sticks, (laughs) there, uh, there is a family, and they've all died off now, so I think I can say this. But I swear to God, their last name was Strange. And they were all inbred as hell. You've told me about the Stranges. Yes. Like, they were so, like, Appalachia inbred to the point where, like, you could tell. And, like, they were suffering the consequences of, like, a hundred years of inbreeding. It was insane. But I just loved that their last name was Strange, and they certainly were. Oh, my God. (laughs) Appalachian Adams family. Do you remember from our genetics classes the, like, whole story about the Habsburg dynasty? Yeah. And how, like, 
basically the Spanish Empire collapsed because of, like, w- one super inbred homie whose family tree looked like a circle. Yeah. And the, uh, his autopsy was, like, he had no blood and his <laughs> brain was the size of a walnut and, like, had all, it just roasted the shit out of him. Should I find his autopsy so I can read it? Because it's incredible and it's, like, from, like, you know, the 1500s. Yeah, it genuinely, there was a whole thing, like, England and Spain have been, like, competing empires in the, like... 1600s for so long and the like Spanish Armada actually collapsed because this guy was king and he just like couldn't be king because he was so inbred and had so many issues his heart was the size of a peppercorn his lungs corroded his intestines rotten and gangrenous he had a single testicle black as coal and his head was full of water (laughs) (laughs) he had a single testicle black as coal before Christmas. It's so powerful and it just goes and there's no pauses and it's beautiful. That's art. That's art. <laughs> Why do we write poetry for this podcast when we could just be reading Habsburg Dynasty autopsies word for word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back to it. Now, <laughs> in defense of inbreeding, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Uh, line breeding is super common, and it's not immediately a red flag. If you have a purebred dog, he's probably way more inbred than a cute pink corn snake. As long as the breeder outcrosses every couple generations to bring in new genetic information, everything should be fine. Should be. Should be. This is all pretty typical, and... As long as the breeding practices are good and the snakes are healthy, I don't have a problem with it. Until things go a little too far. So, there are some color morphs that are linked to health issues in snakes. Not all of these are caused by inbreeding. It's often unknown why the weird problem is present and sometimes it can be caused more by uh, bad snake husbandry in general Mm -hmm. and not so much the actual genetics involved. Like, you're keeping your eggs too warm or you're keeping your eggs too cold or you're just not taking good to care of your snakes or whatever. For example, the wobble is a neurological abnormality that can affect several morphs and is most notoriously present in spider morphs. To the point that some people think that, like, they should not be breeding spider morphs at all because all spider morphs have the wobble. It causes the snake's head to wobble, and it seems to have an effect on the equilibrium. There's a debate as to whether or not it hurts the snake and whether or not it affects the snake's lifespan or ability to catch prey and stuff. And some people even think that it's cute, and so they like it. Mm. That I feel I feel weird about. I feel a little icky about that. Yeah. Um, eye defects are more common in morphs like super cinnamon and super butter, butter. And spinal deformations are sometimes present in caramel albinos. So, you know, not ideal. Probably no fun to have spinal deformation. Can't feel good. There's also some morphs that if they're bred to each other... The offspring don't survive at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's like Romeo and Juliet snakes. Yeah. <laughs> that can't it's ever kinda, be together. It's kind of like the uh, uh, the mule. The that's a better comparison. It's a kind of evolutionary end of the line. 
God said this far and no further. <laughs> God said we have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, and it's it's here. It's these two python morphs. You can't have that color. You're not going to get that color. This might be a, a crazy stance, but I'm not a big fan of bringing an animal into the world just because it looks cool if you know that it is very likely to have a painful life or have health problems or not survive at all. Don't get me going on pugs and bulldogs, because it's all the same shit. Yeah, no, that's fair. At the end of the day, breeding for specific color morphs can be conducted ethically, or it can be conducted unethically. Snakes don't know what the fuck color they are, and I don't think they really care. As long as they're healthy and well taken care of, go crazy. But not too crazy. And, uh... If you're in the market for a cool, colorful snake, do a lot of research on the potential issues that that morph could have, and definitely only support reputable and ethical breeders who take really good care of their snakes. I already knew this was a thing you shouldn't do, but now I feel like, now I feel like I know even why more why you shouldn't do it. Don't release your snake oh, because yeah. it is not adapted for the environment. Yeah, it's super butter, daddy. Is not Super Butter Daddy is not gonna make it in the Florida Everglades. No. His normal colored cousin, Mike. Is gonna do probably too will. well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of reasons why you shouldn't fucking release your snakes into the wild. No. But even or for any, the snake's benefit, if not for the ecosystems. Yeah, don't don't Home. release don't release any any pet <laughs> into the Florida Everglades specifically. <laughs> Yeah. Or into the Chattahoochee. We always had problems where about once every five years, they'll find an alligator in the Chattahoochee, and it's because some fucking hick went down to Florida on vacation, caught a baby alligator, brought it home, and tried to keep it as a pet, and when it got too big for their bathtub, they just dumped it in the Chattahoochee. And then I got to be kind of afraid of getting eaten by an alligator in, like, southern Appalachia. In North Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Where there should not be gators. Should not be gators. So, um, we can, we can still have a cute, pretty, colorful snake. As long as it, we do our research and don't get one that somebody committed crimes against nature to produce. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we're we're now we're gonna have to do an episode at some point on like shitty dog breeds. <laughs> <laughs> you just want a platform to yell about pugs. I do, and I don't know they if I want to give exist. that to you. We're hurting them. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's fair. I'm sure little Mister Toodles is happy and loves his life, but every waking moment of his is a misery, and he can't breathe. And he shouldn't exist. We shouldn't make... I'm not saying we should kill all pugs. I'm not <laughs> taking that stance. We should I'm sure stop making more of them. We should stop making more pugs. Yeah. Interesting topic. Animals that shouldn't exist. Ooh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say woolly mammoth. Oh, that too. <laughs> We're trying to bring them back and we shouldn't. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. we should, but also probably not. That somebody's got to stop down that permafrost. I don't see you up there doing it. <laughs> we got to stop global warming. Somebody's got to stop down that permafrost. <laughs> That's 
why they want to bring them back. Get on up there and start stomping permafrost. Put some boots on. They One of the arguments for bringing woolly mammoths back is that they think that woolly mammoth herds helps, like, tap down the permafrost with their, you know, big old woolly mammoth feet. And they, uh, they, they keep, like, the CO2 locked in the permafrost. And it helps slow global warming. But also, like, how much methane are these fuckers producing? It seems like they kind of it equal out at the end of the day. <laughs> was it that they were stomping it down? Or was it that they, like, promoted the development of grasslands through grazing? And, they, and grasslands are a CO2 sink. Everybody knows <laughs> that, <laughs> that woolly mammoths loved to clog. They were up there doing the doing the little shuffles. They're, the the woolly mammoth line dances are legendary. You haven't seen the cave paintings of the woolly mammoth line dances. The world famous woolly mammoth clog. <laughs> Yes, actually. Yeah? I had a dream about a snake eating ice cream recently, <laughs> and it was so cute, and I woke up smiling. <laughs> That's great. It put me in such a great mood for the whole day. I have also had a snake dream. Uh, in my dream, the basilisk from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets uh, showed up at my middle school playground, and it was just doing laps around the track while tossing children around. <laughs> in a fun way or in a bad way? No, in a scary way. It was a nightmare, <laughs> Actually. Oh no. But that's not really important. Now many have tried their hands at interpreting snake dreams, including Sigmund Freud, who of course said that snakes are a symbol for the male phallus. Isn't everything. Except for the male phallus, which is a symbol for snakes, weirdly enough. <laughs> Dream interpretation is pseudoscience at best, <laughs> but I can with confidence say that I was not dreaming about penises at 12 years old or ever. Fair. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> What's important here is not the content of the snake dreams, but their prevalence. Over 50% of people report having dreamed about snakes at some point in their lives. It only 50, not everybody? 50% is still really high for like the general population. 50% is really high, but like at this point, I feel like I've had a dream about most things at least once. Wow, I have not. I don't dream a lot. You also do less drugs than me. Furthermore, aphidiophobia, or the fear of snakes, is one of the most common phobias around the world. The earliest stories of many mythologies and world religions contain snakes, from the Nagas of Hindu tradition to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Hmm, my boy. <laughs> A little loose. <laughs> my boy Lucy! <laughs> Humans have been obsessed with snakes since before written language was invented. We feared them, worshipped them, and immortalized them in our stories and art. It's almost like a fascination with snakes is a core part of the human experience. And there's scientific evidence for that. Whoa. This isn't going to help anyone's ophidiophobia, but snakes evolved to be dangerous and hard to detect. And they were doing this evolution alongside the irradiation of placental mammals during the Paleocene after dinosaurs went extinct. Hmm. 
This means that early snakes were likely an important predator of our mammalian ancestors. Ooh. Individuals that were better at detecting snakes and avoiding them had a higher chance of survival and passing on those skills to their offspring. Primates, like monkeys and apes like us, are especially good at detecting snakes. We also just have good eyesight generally. The pulvinar region is the part of the brain responsible for visually detecting important objects, and it's, it's disproportionately large in primates compared to other mammals. Until the 1970s, anthropologists thought this was due to our arboreal origins. If you live in trees, you need to be able to see the next branch you reach for in order to grab it. Makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. But there's a couple things that give us pause here. First, other mammals that live in trees, like squirrels, for instance, have no problem with scampering about with subpar vision. Second, there is no correlation between the part of the brain that controls reaching and grabbing and the evolution of more forward-facing eyes, what we call orbital convergence. That's a good band name. Or, like, festival name. Mmm. Those snake Come. morphs play at orbital convergence. Come see Seven Dollar Ghosts at Orbital Convergence. I fucking would. 9 p.m., $20 at the door. That sounds like a great place to be offered a lot of drugs. Oh, yeah. Enter anthropologist Lynn Isbell. In 2006, she proposed the snake detection hypothesis, which suggests that the evolution of primates' enhanced visual systems is the direct result of predatory pressure from snakes. Whoa. She posits that millions of years of coexisting alongside snakes selected for individuals with good vision and detection skills and against individuals too slow in the draw to avoid getting bit. So this is, this is back, like, monkey times. Yes. This is monkey times when we were, like, would get eaten by a snake. Or, or at least snake venom. step on a snake and get bit by a snake. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah, so maybe we did need to see what we were reaching out and grabbing, if only to ensure it wasn't a fucking snake. Oh yeah, snakes look like sticks. Yeah. Snakes look like vines. I think that's a Tarzan bit. Yes. His orbital convergence didn't help him there, did it? No, it did not. It's also, I feel like, in Jungle Book. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. I think about. you're thinking about the Jungle Book. Yeah, and the snake gets like... And it gets like... Yeah, they sort of like crack it like a whip at some point, I think. Yeah, that poor snake. Or no, that part's from Robin Hood. There's a lot of snakes Jesus. in Disney movies. Walt needs to talk to Freud. This is, idea has been supported by a number of empirical studies. Humans can identify images of snakes faster than other fear-related things like spiders, which were a less relevant threat to early primates. Hmm. In fact, we are so distracted by snake stimuli that our brains will prioritize processing snake-related information over other things, even tasks we're already engaged in. Are, are you and me broken because our snake fear response doesn't work? <laughs> My mom has routinely said that I don't have enough of the nature fear, <laughs> which is that I'm not afraid enough of the things in nature that I should be afraid of. When, and she might be right. <laughs> when I was like five or six years old, I got in a lot of trouble because I caught a carper head in our backyard. Oh my god. I put it in our my mom's hundred year old glass candy dish and brought it into her and it was just a pissed off copperhead. How are you alive? I don't know. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> so in theory we're evolutionarily primed to be afraid of snakes, and then something messed up for you and me. <laughs> Some wires got crossed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Variation within primates lends credibility to this hypothesis as well. Malagasy primates, like lemurs, have relatively poor vision compared to other primates, and they've never coexisted with the snakes on Madagascar. Oh. There's no snakes on Madagascar? There's no snakes on Madagascar. Man, I guess that's a trade-off for lemurs. It's one of the islands that we mentioned earlier that doesn't have snakes. Like oh. I, like Ireland, Madagascar, Iceland, New oh, Zealand. Shit. Man, it's kind of sad. I'd hate to live somewhere with no snakes. There are non-mammalian models for this as well. Raptors that eat snakes have bigger eyes and better binocular vision than other birds of prey. Oh, cool. Did you hear this, the news story about the woman who uh, was cutting her grass and a hawk dropped a snake on her and the snake started attacking her and then the hawk was like, fuck, that's my lunch and the that bitch got my lunch and the hawk swooped down and started attacking the woman too. <laughs> and so she was being like, att- like bit by this snake and bit by this hawk. And um, she she was pretty beat up. <laughs> she was she was in pretty bad shape. She had to like fight them off and stuff. I mean, that's incredibly badass of her. I yeah. It also sounds like the kind of thing that's like the origin story for like a Greek myth. Yeah. So, anyways, so hawks have good snake spotting eyes because they eat snakes. Because they eat snakes. So why didn't other mammals evolve this snaky sense? Well, many of them evolved resistance to snake venom instead, like mongoose or opossums. And dogs. And dogs. Also, side note, uh, apparently the plural of mongoose is mongooses or mongies, uh, both of which are upsetting. Not mongai? <laughs> it's not mongai. Um, but it said that both mongooses or mongies is correct. Uh, I think both of these are upsetting, and me and the Alaskan <laughs> producer have decided that that's wrong. I think it should just be mongoose. That's what we decided as well. That's why I just said mongoose. I, it feels nice. like it, it feels like moose. Like it should just be. Yeah, it should just be it. Many, it's done. Many mongoose. Yeah, there's so many fucking mongoose up here. We we are fucking stepping on mongoose here. Dog, I'm uh, I'm elbow deep in mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> mongoose. <laughs> no. I meant to say that I'm knee-deep in mongoose, and then I chose the wrong joint, and it implied that I had a mongoose like it was a puppet. Oh my god. We don't have physiological adaptations against snake bites, but vision is the most developed sensory system in primate brains, so we can avoid the strike before it happens. Mm. It's also important to note that this is definitely still just a hypothesis, Other studies since 2006 have found no correlations between enhanced primate vision and historical exposure to snakes. It's entirely possible our visual adaptations were driven by something else entirely, and the snake-sensing prowess was just a bonus. Can it be a little bit of both? It's probably a little bit of both. Like, maybe snakes... Snakes weren't such an extreme threat that we fully developed an entire section of our brain for it, but definitely definitely helped maybe we're a factor yeah i mean the ones that can't see snakes are gonna get bit and not have babies so yeah and pass on those genes so i mean it definitely makes sense yeah people are stepping on snakes ain't living (laughs) what happened to jeff he fell in the garter snake pit (laughs) garter snakes aren't venomous no they're not (laughs) they just fucked him to death Worst caveman death. 
uh, the far like the far side the comics. <laughs> I mean, I know of him. He does a lot of caveman bits, and this is absolutely a far side bit. <laughs> that being said, I'm going to jump to some conclusions here. We <laughs> first. Human beings have had a long history with snakes. Whether it's an evolutionary history remains to be seen. But given the strong presence of snakes in our art, literature, and subconscious, I'd say they're not going anywhere. And second, just to be clear, Kelsey, if you and I were early primates, I would survive and prosper, and you with your glasses and contacts would immediately die from a snake bite. Natural selection is not on my side. No, with your uh, 94 beats per minute heart rate? No. My high-ass heart rate... My barely management anxiety, my fucking creaky ass bones. <laughs> I would have. I would have never. The snakes made it. would hear you coming, crack a mile away, just crack a lacking up the, up the yeah. forest path. <laughs> Crunching. I wouldn't even see it. I wouldn't see it happening. I'd get wrapped up in a, a big old giant. What was the? Uh, what was the big giant prehistoric uh, uh, snake called? Titanoboa? Titanoboa. Titanoboa would eat my ass. Titanoboa would consume my body for nutrients. How can I say this in the least sexual way possible? Titanoboa would fuck me right. (laughs) No! I was gonna take it away from that! It's better than dying by being, like Jeff, by falling in the garter snake pit. Which would you would you rather be? I I would rather be eaten by the Titanoboa. No, 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 no. I was gonna say, would you rather be fucked by the Titanoboa or a garter snake feeding pulpit? This is the this is the same question, but perverted as would you rather fight a bear sized chicken or a hundred chicken sized bears? Yes. Titanoboa because it would be it would be faster and it would kill me instantly. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You would just be shish kebabbed. Oh my god. We here at BioBabes love snakes, but that doesn't mean other people don't have a valid reason to fear them or dislike them. As you explained in your fact, that fear may literally be in our DNA. Human-state conflict is a real problem in many places, but like all cases of wildlife conflict, it's a matter of learning to coexist with our wild neighbors. Snakes are not the literal devil, despite what the Bible tells us, and they don't bite because they're evil. Sometimes they're more scared of you than you are of them. Snakes are important predators for many things we want to keep under control, like disease-carrying rodents that kill way more people than snakes every year. My grandpa was of the persuasion to kill all snakes, no matter what type of snake or what it was doing or whether or not he had to go out of his way to kill it. And um, I, I think he permanently, like, harmed the, like, rat-snake population of northeast Georgia based on how many snakes he killed. Their shotgun, like, holes in the screened-in porch from where he just shot a black snake that was indoors. Eventually, it got to where I would, he instead of killing the snakes, he would call me and I would come down and catch the snakes. And I think I probably saved about 50 snakes every summer. But 
he still hated snakes his whole life. And, but it's just, it's, it's bad to kill snakes. Because then he would complain about how there's rats everywhere and the rats are getting in the basement. And I was like, oh, well, we wonder if we had some rat snakes around here. <laughs> that maybe could have solved this problem Maybe could have helped with all these fucking rats. Are you telling me that you were, like, single-handedly responsible for the, like, snake population not collapsing? Yeah, I think I, I think I've, I might have saved the snakes in our general area from going extinct. Because <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa Miller was pretty trigger-happy with the shotgun. It's okay not to like snakes. It's good to, maybe if you don't like snakes, it's good to avoid snakes, but don't kill snakes. They're very important for the ecosystem. They keep the mice away from your house. They're just vibing. They're just doing their thing. They're hanging out and, and being all slithery and fun. And of course, that's, that's all true and fine and dandy in the places where they belong. Yeah. You, <laughs> snakes can be incredibly invasive, and they're like yeah. uh, a huge problem in places like the Florida Everglades, where yeah. they just eat everything and then like the local mammal and bird populations are absolutely fucking decimated because of Burmese pythons that are yeah. 40 feet long and nobody kills snakes except for Floridians and Burmese pythons y'all y'all take care of that yeah don't kill snakes unless you are the python huntress in which case <laughs> ma'am you are my hero my icon and I pray to you every night swamp queen young and sweet so covered in snakes. <laughs> That's a wrap on season one of Bio Babes. We're taking a bit of a hiatus because Libby is leaving me. I'm sorry. If I could put you in my pocket and bring you with me, I would, but you're not quite travel size. Close thing, though. I'm so offended. While, while Libby is off having a cross-country adventure, there will still be Bio Babes content. Yeah, we'll be posting on our Instagram, so give that a follow, at Podcast. Plus, we've got some special field trip episodes, like the one to the Reptile Expo that I teased a minute ago. And we'll be sprinkling them in, in place of our normal content. Yeah, so stay tuned for those. That's all for this episode of BioBabes. Listen next time to BioBabes, and we're going to do a backflip. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. time for the bio babes poem um we really phoned it in this week though uh, so this poem is is brought to you by chat gpt but bio babes would like to acknowledge that we stand in solidarity with writer strikes and which is to say that this poem is obviously going to be way worse than any poem that kelsey and i wrote <laughs> ourselves we're just lazy this week it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> it is looking kind of good though doesn't mean we shouldn't pay our writers. Yeah, we need writers. Writers are important. Welcome back to BioBabes, insightful domain, where science and snakes dance in the brain. Libby and Kelsey are guides on this quest. To outwit each other, they do their best. The Brahmini blind snake, a record it holds. Native to Africa and Asia, its story unfolds. 
Just five inches max, it's size quite petite. Eating larvae and eggs, it's a tiny treat. But here's the twist, no males do they need. Obligate parthenogenesis is their special breed. Females clone themselves with genes they align. Triploid daughters identical, it's genetic design. In April and May, it's the season to shine. For the red-sided garters, it's mating time. Mating balls they create, a mesmerizing sight. Males in a frenzy, a wild, wiggling fight. Double penises align with skill and desire. Cloacas and tails in this courtship mire. Pelvic spurs assist with precision they grip. Vestigial leg bones in nature's strange script. In the world of snakes, a rainbow of hues, color morphs and patterns, so many to choose. A reptile expo, a tempting display, but ethical concerns as we tread this array. As animal lovers, we must take a stand for creatures with colors that enchant our land. Ethical breeding, a noble pursuit for vibrant, healthy snakes, let's follow this route. From myths and religions to arts on display, the serpent's been with us in various ways. Humans and snakes intertwined through the ages. A fascination, a fear, history's pages. Primates excelled at this, detecting the threat. Good vision, keen eyes, and no time for regret. The pulvinar region where the brain takes the lead, spotting important objects, a life-saving need. In conclusion, snakes and history run deep. In our art, in our minds, in our dreams as we sleep. Whether evolutionary or not, they're here to stay. And Kelsey, if we were primates, I'd surely make my way to avoid snake bites with my keen sight, while you with glasses and contacts, well, that's another fight. Now back to BioBabes, the podcast so grand, with Kelsey and Libby, hand in hand, discussing snakes with their quirky traits in a world of biology where knowledge awaits. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was, you know... Chad GBT did a good job, but still uh, hire writers. Yeah, pay your fucking writers. 